As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam, hosted by Andrew Schlicht with Alex Spears. How about we can just watch basketball? That's a man's jam! I like that idea. Live from Oklahoma. With questions and participants from all around the world. Anthony Edwards! Put that on a poster! Whether you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee, get ready, sit back, relax. It's the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Back is, I missed this shot, I'll walk away, I'm still a chump. Here's Andrew. Welcome to the Saturday Slam and Jam. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. Go to theathletic.com slash NBA show and get The Athletic for $3.99 a month. Alex, we almost have two finals teams. We have one in the Phoenix Suns and Chris Paul, which we will talk about here in a little bit with our guest, Anthony Slater. But until then, Alex, let's talk about the future. The future. Yes, you know, we uh, obviously we took a break from the wheel of fandom when we got to the playoffs because we wanted to focus on you know all the good teams but i've gotten to the point where i'm just missing talking about the bad teams you know it's been, <laughs> it's been too long and so i wanted to come up with some way where we could weasel them back into the conversation and i think i figured it out andrew because this year's playoffs have been unique for a variety of reasons one of which is the deep playoff runs being made by teams that were out of the playoffs just a season ago The Atlanta Hawks and Phoenix Suns were in the lottery in the year 2020 and are both now just a few wins away from an NBA championship. Obviously, the the Hawks are down right now, but who knows? What if Trey comes back? They could win game six and then it's game seven. Now, this has obviously given a lot of hope to bad NBA teams who see the Hawks and Suns and think, hey, why can't they be us? Or why can't that be us? Are we the Hawks? Are we the Suns? And I think this is especially true if you're a franchise that traditionally has not been able to sign the biggest free agents. So I think it's worth investigating. Have the Hawks and Suns provided teams new models for team building and what currently bad teams are most likely to talk themselves in to being next year's version of the Hawks or Suns? What do you think about that, Andrew? I think this happens every year, right? Where people see the teams that head to the finals and they think, we can get there. The Suns did that? The Suns are terrible. The Suns have been terrible forever. Of course we can do that. And I think what makes this year especially interesting is that, you know, last year you could do that with the Heat, but at the end of the day, you could always just say, well, it's the Heat. Like, it's Miami. They are a premier destination. We're never going to be like that. 
But when you're talking about the Hawks and the Suns, who, again, traditionally haven't been teams that have attracted huge free agents, yep. I think it makes you a little bit more hopeful. So let's start off by talking about the main ingredients that went into the Hawks and Suns team-building approaches, because while they do share some similarities, they're also slightly different. So first, I, would, I think we would agree, you need a young all-star. The Hawks had Trey Young, Suns yep. had Devin Booker. Two all-stars that had gotten significant flack in their early years from certain media personalities for being good stats, bad team guys. Something they mm-hmm. share in common. Second, you definitely need a young core around those all-stars. So the Hawks, of course, they had a ton of guys, but you know, Herter, Hunter, and Collins were kind of the big ones last coming into this year. The Suns had Aiton Bridges and Cam Johnson. This is, I would argue, is the first difference between the Hawks and Suns because even though they both had those young cores. Wouldn't you agree, coming into this season, we felt much more comfortable with that Suns young core. They were much more well-established. No no question. I think that everybody felt confident with them, especially with the way they played in the bubble. Exactly, yeah. We weren't talking about Kayvon back then, Kevin Herter, you know? <laughs> and even DeAndre Hunter, like his big jump, obviously he's not playing in the playoffs, but his big jump happened this year as well. Yeah, early on in the season, he looked like... Okay, like that's what we were waiting to see. We were waiting to see that version of him, and but also they were like losing so many games, and they, the Hawks have been a confusing team uh, up until recently. And I think because they've been so confusing, especially that young core, like not knowing what to do with them, that influenced their different free agent approach from the Suns, which we'll get to. So the third ingredient you need, you need significant cap space and or large tradable contracts. Now the Hawks last year had all the money in the world. They could basically yeah. do whatever they wanted. The Suns had some space, but they also had that big contract of Ricky Rubio, which they could use in a deal. And then fourth, you need to target multiple veterans in the offseason, either through free agency or trade. Now, if we include Clint Capella for the Hawks, who didn't play a game for them last season after he was traded from the Rockets, and campaign for the Suns, who only played in those eight bubble games, both mm-hmm. the Hawks and the Suns acquired three of their current top six in playoff minutes from last season to this season. And they were all veterans. So it's Clint Capella, Bogdanovich, Gallo for the Hawks, CP3, Jay Crowder, and Campaign for the Suns. Now the difference there, in my opinion, the Hawks took a more diversified approach because I only mentioned three veterans, but they signed a lot of guys. They signed a cavalcade of veterans. Whereas the (laughs) Suns really made that one major move, bringing in the current all-star, Chris Paul, and then they added two other complementary pieces. Would you agree there's a difference in those two approaches? No question. There were there were clear deficiencies with that roster. And with with the Hawks, it just felt like talent grab. Right. Because as you mentioned with the Suns, like they had had that bubble run where they'd won eight in a row. You were feeling positive about that Suns young core, whereas the Hawks won 20 games the previous year. So to me, it's the difference between accelerating a rebuild in the case of the Hawks versus like adding the final touches of a on a rebuild that you feel pretty good about in Phoenix. Yeah. So those are the main ingredients, but let's throw in some bonus ingredients that could help us predict which team might be the next Hawks or Suns, or at least think that they'll be the next Hawks or Suns. How about a recent, recent coaching change? So Monty Williams is only in his second year in Phoenix. Nate McMillan in his first half season with Atlanta. They both had long playoff droughts, or at least playoff success droughts. Both franchises haven't Mm -hmm. won a championship in their current cities. And finally, I think it's important to give preference to teams coming off disappointing seasons when we're trying to predict the next Suns or Hawks. That was certainly true for the Hawks, who only won 20 games, as I mentioned. And even though the bubble Suns won those eight games, 
missing the playoffs at that time for a 10th straight season was certainly still a disappointment. Okay, so we've explored all the ingredients needed to create your own Suns or Hawks team. So let's look at some bad teams. Some of these actually aren't too bad, but most of these are bad. And for (laughs) each one, Andrew and I are going to see if they have the right ingredients and decide who has the best shot to be next year's Hawks or Suns. Let's do it. Let's talk New Orleans. To me, this is the the spiciest one and for a lot of reasons. And they are also on extremely shaky ground as well in a lot of areas. Uh, first criteria, do they have a young all-star? They have the young all-star, Alex. The. They have Zion the. Williamson. That's who they have. Okay. And then you also have, you have Brandon Ingram. Would you want to put him there or not? Honestly, it doesn't really matter. He's Yeah, he was. He's part of this young core. He's part of who they are. Uh, we have questions about Lonzo Ball. We have questions about Josh Hart. But they have other guys like Jackson Hayes, who's got some potential, who's actually okay this year. Uh, we have Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who's been very good for them. And then you have Kira Lewis, who was their lottery pick from this past draft. So lots of young players to to either develop or you can throw them into a trade. Uh, cap space. Uh, they don't have cap space. <laughs> There's problems with that. And some of that is the giant contracts that they have with Eric Bledsoe and Steven Adams, uh, which really has limited them in a lot of ways. They didn't have to do the Steven Adams extension. Steven's one of my favorite people, period, in the NBA. I love him. But it did not make a ton of sense. It, it was very reminiscent of when the Thunder gave Kendrick Perkins that extension before he even played a minute for them. Like they were just excited to get him. And so right. they were just like, let's lock him in for as long as we can. So that will limit that. And then you have the Lonzo Ball free agency is going to be pretty interesting. I don't – can you pay the tax for this team is the question you have to ask yourself, right? Like are you going to pay the tax for this team? Uh, if you get a star, obviously, like they've been thrown out as a Damian Lillard destination, if that ever happens, just because yeah. they have so many assets in terms of pick assets. Um, but yeah, if it's not Dame, ideally, you would not want to be paying the tax for this team, which is why yeah, you almost the- have to get off of one of at least one of those contracts. And it's probably going to take some of that treasure chest of picks to do. Mm-hmm. It will. The, the, the Pelicans guys are... They, they're pro Lonzo. They want him back. This is what Brandon Ingram said at exit interviews. I really hope those guys can be with us next year, of course. In my exit meeting, I talked a lot about those guys, especially Zoe, and how I think that he's a generational talent and his passing ability and the things he sees on the basketball floor that nobody sees, his IQ, how he can manipulate the game on the defensive end, and he's pretty much, he can pretty much guard everyone one through three. That's something special to have. So high praise from B.I. Lonzo said that he obviously would love to be back in New Orleans. I feel a good bond here with the coaches and and the teammates that are here. So I definitely wouldn't mind coming back at all. The last part was like, I wouldn't mind coming back. <laughs> okay, that's like a, I wouldn't mind having Mexican for dinner tonight, which is not me saying I want to have Mexican for dinner tonight. That's not that's not right. Uh, and Zion said on Zoe returning, it would be dope. It'd be, it'd dope. be dope, bro. <laughs> so <laughs> I I don't know how I feel about this. 
like you said, they're one of the Damian Lillard destinations that makes sense for the Blazers because they can offer Brandon Ingram, which would help them match salary. They can offer as many picks as you would like. They can offer young players that I think would help them. Uh, you can throw them Jackson Hayes. You can throw them Kyra Lewis Jr. You can throw them – I think you'd like to keep Nikhil Alexander-Walker if you're the Pelicans just because I think that he would help. But per- perhaps he's he's got to be a part of it, and to me that's not a deal breaker. If you can get Lillard in New Orleans with Zion, that's it. And then And then to me, like you said, Lonzo makes a ton of sense with that group. Because he's he's a glue he's like the ultimate glue guy to me. He hits threes. He's a great passer. He can push. He can defend. He's he's kind of that ultimate guy. And it's hard to me. It's hard for him to thrive on a team until he is kind of fit into that role. Like not too dissimilar from like a Draymond Green, where at the end of this past season, everybody's like, "Well, I can't believe Draymond Green's only scoring eight points a game. This is ridiculous." You know, right? Can't even get double digit scoring. It's like, well, that's not the role he's supposed to be in. Uh, I feel it's very similar to Lonzo. So, to me, that's a huge part of this. Uh, recent coaching change? Uh, yes. <laughs> there was a, There's a recent interview that Stan Van did with Stu Gotts on a mm, podcast. Yes, 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 and, yes. Uh, <laughs> and he's, he, the report was that it was a mutual decision for, him to, for them to part ways. He was like, he debunked that pretty quick. He said, they wanted me gone. And because I wasn't wanted, I left. <laughs> you know, so it wasn't a like we both decide that this is a, not a great situation. It was they decided they didn't like him anymore. They didn't want him to be the coach, and so he decided, okay, if I'm not wanted, I'll just leave. Uh, so he said it was not mutual. It was that they wanted him gone. So that's kind of ugly. Uh, but they have interviewed Charles Smith from the Bucks, who's a 36 year old, another African American coach who I think deserves a chance. Uh, the Thunder interviewed him uh, in their recent, after or before their recent hire of Mark Degnault. He would be the second youngest coach in the league, which I think is not a bad thing for a young team like this. And he is kind of a player's coach, so that's that's something that I would support. I think that he, would be he got, a good move. Yeah, Charles Smith got a great write up in uh, Kevin Arnovitz did a piece last summer mm-hmm. about all the coaching candidates, and that was back when the Thunder were looking for a coach. And so reading through those, you know how are we going to have an opinion on any of these assistant coaches? Like I'm basically relying on people who know all of these assistant coaches and the write up he gave for Charles Smith was so good because he basically made the case that he is like a five tool player. Like he can, he does everything you want out of a coach. Um, Like he's good Mm -hmm. with X's and O's. He's good as far as your relationships. And he, he sounded just reading that one paragraph from Kevin Arnovitz. I was like completely in. And I had been wanting him to be the Thunder's coach. And so if they got someone like that, I would be pretty excited for the Pelicans. And it yeah. would be a it would be a big change from Stan Van. <laughs> it would be a breath of fresh air. I I don't know what to do with the the Zion report about his family members wanting him to go somewhere else. I, I do think that there's some things they can do this summer to change that. I think that the hiring of Charles Smith could be step one to getting there. And then, of course, if if Lillard does indeed demand out, I think that they're, to me, they're first in line to make the trade. And then, yes, the Suns comparison is very apt for them in that way. Because if you add Dame to this team and they have similar luck that the Suns have had, I have no doubt that they could make a run like that. 
with with the way with the complimentary pieces that they would have around Dame and around Zion. I think it would be an absolute slam dunk for them. And uh, it st- and it still seems like such a pipe dream because like we have we does. don't know anything about what's happening with Dame. Like since they had the the press conference with Chauncey, we really haven't heard anything out of Portland. Mm-hmm. And so I think you have to be under the assumption that Dame is staying in Portland. He's on that long-term deal. But that doesn't, it's still true that the Pelicans are set up for that kind of a deal where if there Mm -hmm. was a disgruntled star, they have everything another team would possibly want to bring that star in. And they're set up with Zion and some of those young pieces to be kind of that son's model. Yeah. And they have the pressure. That's being applied yes, to them by Zion, pressure. which is which is a huge part of it. Uh, the only thing that differentiates them from the Suns situation is that, boy, did the Suns really luck out in that Chris Paul is at the latter part of his career, and he it's not it didn't take what it's going to take to get Dame. To exactly, get they were able to keep all of like the meaningful pieces around their guys in that deal because the Thunder weren't going to demand that like Bridges Bridges or something like that. Like that was never going to happen. One, I don't think the Thunder would really want Bridges on their current team. And then two, like it was just kind of the perfect storm. So I think there is, I think that it would be wise for them to try to get a guy like Dame. But I also think that trying to replicate something like what the Suns are doing is just so difficult because it just took that perfect storm. Uh, Okay, let's, let's run through these last couple criteria here. Uh, long playoff drought. Yes, they've never won a title. Their last time they were in the playoffs was the 17-18 season, uh, a season where Nikola Mirotic was playing a massive role for them. And just, I, I was looking at that roster. I was like, oh my gosh, like I haven't heard that name in so long. Uh, that was the last time that they were in the playoffs. They won around and they haven't been back since. Uh, and then over the coming off a disappointing season, absolutely. I mean, missing the playoffs, missing the play, like, it was just, that's a disastrous result for that team, especially a team that I, I think the league was pulling for. And to not get there was an absolute disappointment. So I think they are our best Suns candidate. Who's going to be the next yeah. Suns? I focused more on who could be the next Hawks. And for this... And by the way, I'm not saying like that the Hawks plan is going to work for any team that tries it. I was You're just talking to somebody who does who did not like the Hawks plan. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I'm just looking for teams who could talk themselves into it. And the team yeah. I stumbled upon was the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, starting off their ingredients, do they have a young all-star? No, they don't. Okay. And that's kind of a, a big issue. As much as That's I the like, biggest strike against them, right? <laughs> it's a pretty big strike. <laughs> However, I do really like Darius Garland. But if you if, if we say there's no all-star, fine. The young core, Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, Isaac Okoro, Jared Allen, and then this number three pick, whatever that could be. Now, do they have cap space or tradable contracts? They do. They're going to have possible cap space. And then they have Kevin Love's contract. I don't know if you would say Kevin Love's contract is exactly tradable. For some reason, I thought it was an expiring, and then I was looking it no. up today, realized it had two more years, over $30 million. So that kind of changed yep. how I felt about it. Because Kevin Love, yeah. he hasn't played more than 60 games in the last five seasons. He, he, he has the on-court drama. You know, We've had a few instances of that. 
is he really the veteran you want to count on? Like, I think if they could get off of his contract, the whole Hawks idea becomes a lot more believable because then you actually have some cap space to work with. If he's on the team, I don't, I don't trust him. Like he hasn't proven to us that he is a good fit on this rebuilding team as a veteran. Of course not. Of course not. No, he's actually the opposite. He throws chances. He he threw the ball to the other team. He did do that. Now, there's the other part of this, which is a more controversial part, which is that Jeremy Wu at Sports Illustrated reported that the Cavs would be exploring trade options for Colin Sexton. So Colin Sexton, he's coming up for an extension. He wants a very large extension, kind of on par with something like De'Aaron Fox got with the Sacramento Kings. And we talked about, it was back in May on Saturday Slam and Jam, there was an article on The Athletic arguing that giving Colin Sexton a max would be the worst decision the Cavs could possibly make. Now, if you go on, I've been listening to some Cavs podcasts recently, and I've also been on the Cavs subreddit. And I would say Uh generally my impression is that most Cavs fans don't agree with that. They like Colin Sexton. They like that he wants to be in Cleveland. And they don't really like this push from the from the national media about the possibility of trading Colin Sexton. And Nikias Duncan mm-hmm. wrote a very nice article about some possible trade destinations. Got destroyed in the Cavs subreddit. They did not like it. And I thought they were pr- relatively reasonable trades, all things yeah. considered. Like one was uh, to the Raptors for Fred Van Vliet. I was like, okay. Like, I, I mean... In terms of like equivalent value, like I don't think that that's terrible. Yeah. Like whatever. Okay. So I'm just saying that in terms of their ability to go and get veterans the way the Hawks did, they have some things they could do, which could involve either getting rid of Kevin Love's contract and or trading Colin Sexton and or they got that number three pick. And they've already, mm-hmm. it's, it was announced, I feel like immediately, like the Cavs are open <laughs> for business, yeah. which is weird because then I go to the Cavs subreddit. One of the first things I see, hello, other team fans. If you're here because you want to trade for pick number three, unfortunately, you will not be able to. <laughs> That's one of the first <laughs> posts I saw when I went to the Cavs subreddit. So they clearly oh, don't want to trade it. Poor Cavs fans. And oh. I would agree with them. I, w- I wouldn't want to trade a number three pick either. But I'm just saying they have that available to them if they did want to get something big. Yeah. In terms of like a veteran presence. Yeah. Now, recent coaching change? Yes. Bickerstaff, this is going into his third season, but he actually has only coached 83 games for the Cavs. So I qualify that as recent coaching change. Long playoff success mm-hmm. drought? No, they won the championship in 2016. But there is a lot of GM pressure. So Kobe Altman, he's their GM. And in his exit interview on May 30th, he said the Cavs study NBA franchise rebuilds at a, quote, deep level and believes the Cavs are, quote, sort of tracking along the same route as the Suns and Hawks. So that was the thing where it's like, okay, they're already thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. He said, we know it's time to take a next step. I don't know what that next step is, but definitely move this thing forward and put ourselves in position to play real games and meaningful games at the end of the season. Now, is there pressure on Kobe Altman? He was named GM in summer 2017. He was the GM for LeBron's final season in Cleveland. The Cavs have won 60 games total in the three seasons since LeBron left, which would you believe is actually four less wins than the Cavs had in the first three seasons after LeBron left the first time. So they've actually done worse the second time. They've had four coaches during Altman's tenure. If Altman makes it to next summer, 2022, that will be five years as the Cavs GM. Did you know, with Dan Gilbert as owner of the Cavs, no Cavs GM has ever made it past five years. Danny Ferry, Chris Grant, David Griffin, 
all didn't make it past five years. So we've seen what happens when GMs feel pressure to improve. And I'm just creating a picture where it seems like we're entering this like perfect storm of a GM feeling a lot of pressure to be immediately better. They have some pieces that they could move, but maybe you wouldn't want to move in a normal scenario. I could just see a, a scenario where they do the Hawks thing and just bring in a ton of, of veterans. Which, by the mm-hmm. way, I'm not saying it couldn't work. You know, again, I like Darius Garland. But it's just, it. when we think about teams that could try to model themselves after the Hawks, that would be it. And then coming off a disappointing season, yes, they missed the playoffs again. And it wasn't particularly close, even though they had that nice early season run. Yeah, I would be mortified if I were a Cavs fan at all that information that you just dumped about Kobe Altman. Because could it put the pressure to do something positive for them? Absolutely. Could it put the pressure on them to make a Serge Ibaka for Oladipo? Exactly. That's what I was thinking about. Demonis Sabonis trade? Like, it feels more like that to me. It feels more like, go get somebody now, and we can trade our pick, and then whatever else we need to to make it work. And then you find yourself with Terrence Ross at the end of it. And you see, they traded two future All-Stars. They didn't know it, but they did. And it was an absolute disaster. And to me, that more often than not, especially because they don't have Trey Young, (laughs) they they don't have anybody even close to Trey Young, it's this kind of pressure is bad. It's bad, bad news. It is. And that's why uh, that type of rebuilding that you did not like from the Hawks earlier in the season, the Cavs seem like the type of team who might go down that path. So let's do some quick hitters, just going back and forth. You know, the next one on our list is the Mavs. Are the Mavs too yeah. good to even be included here? I don't think so. I think that there's there's obviously some strange pressure. They just basically overturned everything like we covered last week. They are kind of a little bit kangsy right now. It's it's not a great situation. At least it doesn't look like that on the outside looking in. They don't seem to have ways to get better. There's That's a little the problem, scuttle yeah. that there's some scuttle about Dennis Schroeder perhaps signing with the Mavs this summer. Does that does that move the needle for you, Al? It doesn't. It really doesn't. Okay. Uh, Kevin O'Connor said on a podcast that he thinks the most serious threat for Kawhi is Dallas. You believe that? Um, don't believe it would move the needle. Okay. Uh, you think Nico Harrison means that Dame is a Mav now? Definitely not. Look at the Mav. Go look okay. at the Mavs trade assets. They're covered as bare, Andrew. <laughs> I know. I looked at some articles about how they get Dame. It's like, Porzingis, this first round pick, that, like three first round picks. It's like, wait, one of those picks is going to have to go toward getting off of the money for Porzingis. Like, he's not, it's, it's not a favorable contract. Uh, and the the fact is that had Porzingis played really well and things looked really good and they just lost in seven to a good Clippers team and they were wanting to like reload and go back, they wouldn't even trade Porzingis at that point. So they're just, they're in, they feel stuck. And the the good news is that here in a few years, you know, the, the year of Luca's first year of his new contract, as long as he signs it, would be like... That would be like the the perfect time to reset. Yeah. So there's not there's not a lot of money on their books then, but to to me the next two years just feel stuck for them. They do unless they can get off Porzingis because then that would open up things 
def- definitely next summer. Um, yeah. and, and that would be nice for them. That, then they can make their big splash that I'm, they're probably going to be promising with Jason Kidd and Nico Harrison. I know it's it is horrifying, and even to me, I'd rather if I'm a Mavs fan, I would just okay. Let's let's just make sure that Porzingis is not going to work out. Like let's, I would rather really spend you still believe figuring. I would rather spend another season figuring it out rather than like calling the thunder and just like saying, "Hey, could we just dump Porzingis into your cap space?" Right. the The difference for me between what Dallas is doing. Or, or what they could do, and the Suns and the Hawks, is that Luka was so good so fast that it's like already yeah. accelerated their timeline. I mean, the Suns mm-hmm. got away with Devin Booker being on their on a bad team for years and years. And obviously yeah. some people complained about it. You know, Draymond Green brought it up, like, well, we got to get him out of Phoenix. Mm-hmm. But with Luka, it's like a different story. It was like almost his, his second year in the league. He's making the playoffs. He's making a game winner in the playoffs. And it's like, oh, we need to be very, very good right now. Where even with those other teams, the Hawks and the Suns, they had a few years where they were kind of out of you know everyone's eyes. No one was focusing yeah. on them that way. Um, yeah, it would take it would take a it would take Dame or Kawhi saying that's where I want to go. That's the team I want to end up on for them to turn into like the Suns for sure this next season. Um, I think that's really the only two ways. One more team that I think is interesting, just because they could go either way, is the Knicks. You know, if you want to argue, do they have a young all-star? <laughs> Julius Randle is an all-star. He's also 26. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's young enough for this, you know, exercise. But if you do include him, their young core, I mean, R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, Mitchell Robinson, like, that's a pretty good young core. They have yeah. so much money in terms of cap space this summer. Now, they can mm-hmm. extend Julius Randle. He only has $19.8 million guaranteed. They could extend him up to four years, 106. They also have this weird deal with Mitchell Robinson where – they could either just pick up his $1.8 million option, but if they pick it up, he becomes an unrestricted free agent next summer, or they can decline it now and send him to restricted free agency when they have all this money. So that'll be interesting. But the point is they can get up to a lot of money. It was reported today, Ian Begley, this is from Bleacher Report, agent, agents agents fear the Knicks as a possible free agent destination for Chris Paul. I don't even know what that sentence means. Agents are scared. <laughs> Why are they scared? <laughs> no one else is scared but the agents. The agents are scared. Maybe the agents for other point guards who would want to go to New York because there are going to be, you know, Kyle Lowry, Mike Conley, maybe Alonzo Ball signed in trade. So I think there will be options for them. Mm-hmm. And they are a team that either could add an, a big time all star or could use that cast space to add a bunch of different free agents. And the main thing for the Knicks watching them this season is if they could get some some shooting, any shooting, mm-hmm. whether it's Norm Powell, mm-hmm. Duncan Robinson, whoever it is, if they could bring in some shooting, I would feel so much better about them next season. So they're one of these teams where I feel like they could go either way. They could go down the Suns route or the Hawks route. But overall, I feel yeah. like they're set up pretty well this summer. But this summer is going to decide a lot. Make good decisions, Knicks. Make good Make decisions. Make good decisions. Um, okay, Andrew, let's do some birthdays. Blow out the candles, get your cake, and eat it too. It's the birthday bash. It's your birthday. Somebody in here, it's your birthday. It's your birthday. Somebody in here, it's your birthday. It's your birthday. Everybody move like it's your birthday. We're going to have a birthday party today because a lot of guys had birthdays. And actually, it was all older guys this week, mostly. Oh, A lot of vets. Okay. 
So as always, by the way, last week, Andrew got all five, five and O record, first Ooh. time on the pod. Ooh. So exciting for probably one person out there who's been tracking this. <laughs> so I'm going to give you two names of guys who had birthdays this week. You're going to tell me which guy is younger. First group, Derek White, Bradley Beal. Uh, Bradley Beal's older. He is older. Bradley Beal turned 28 <laughs> this week. Derek White turning 27. What about Monte Morris, Marquise Chris? Oh, Monte Morris, hmm. Marquise Chris. Backup point guard for the Denver Nuggets, although he was starting. Monte Morris is older? He is. By two years, he turned 26, and Marquise Chris is still only 24. Next, James Ennis, Kent Bazemore. Oh, James Ennis once was uh, said to be 80% of Trevor Reza. That's true. I'll say Kent Bazemore is older. He is, Andrew. You're on a streak three in a row. Kent Bazemore turning 32, James Ennis 31. Next, Trevor Ariza, I just mentioned, Landry Fields. Remember him? Remember Landry? Former Nick Great. Oh, man. I get, I've... Everything in me says Trevor Ariza is older, so I guess I'll go with that. That is correct. Trevor Ariza is 36. Landry Fields still only 33. And finally, Andrew, for another clean sweep, 10 in a row, Michael Porter Jr. or Yorgos Papayanis? Oh, <laughs> uh, Papayanis has to be older, right? He is, but it's only by a year. He's still 24, okay. and Michael Porter Jr. <laughs> is 23. So that's five in a row, Andrew. Two weeks in a row. Woo! Yes. All right. We're, we're going to talk more victories here in a second with our pal Anthony Slater. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'd like to welcome Anthony Slater to the podcast today. Slater covers the Warriors for The Athletic, but is pinch hitting on the Suns right now. Slater, what's up? I only pinch hit for title teams. I did the Lakers in the bubble last year. <laughs> I, I picked the Suns this year figuring, you know, I'll do a nice little fun round one, then I'll pop around the league, and they're still alive. Who knows? This is, this is how you crown the champion. Like, this is how you pre-crown the champion. Just have Slater <laughs> cover the team. Oh, that's so awesome. So you covered... Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook with the Thunder, Steph Curry, KD with the Warriors, both veteran teams making deep playoff runs. Uh, what has it been like covering this Suns team that's mostly made up of younger guys with some vets mixed in? 
It's been interesting to see, you know, if you were like a Suns fan who like cares about the next half decade and just not the next two weeks, I feel like this is the style of playoff run you wanted. Obviously, you would have taken a run to the finals regardless. But if it was just like Chris Paul leading the whole way, Jay Crowder hitting, mm-hmm. you know, 45% of his threes, and it felt like one of the, you know, like remember when the Raptors beat the Warriors? That was this yep. culmination for all these vets. It was like Abaka, Gasol, Lowry. Kawhi, and then he's going to leave. And it was like, uh, this was awesome to see a coronation. They're not moving forward. This Suns run's really, to me, been about two guys, right? Uh, DeAndre Ayton uh, and and Devin Booker. Devin Booker rising to top 15-ish player. I don't know. Maybe that's uh, uh, you know ambitious. But the way he scores on three levels, I mean, 47 in a closeout game of the Lakers. I mean, pretty easily gets 30 on a lot of nights. And then just the way Ayton has um, held, he held his own against the big Lakers front line. To me, he's the reason they so easily beat Denver because he just was mm-hmm. able to guard Jokic one on one, and just you know, Denver supporting cast wasn't good enough to 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 eat off of that. And then, uh, you know, I thought he survived well against the small ball of the Clippers, and it's just like this to me because it, my overall point is because those two have risen to this level. I think we're talking about the Suns like for the next half decade. Yeah, that's a great point. It's like more of a jumping off point than a culmination. Is there anything now that you're covering this team every game, you're watching them up close, is there anything that surprised you about them that you just wouldn't have known before covering them this closely? I, Booker has that superstar playoff mentality that, you know, I don't know, from afar for years. I mean, they hadn't made the playoffs in 10 years. And and you think about the Booker signature moments before these playoffs, it's like 70 and a loss. Um, it's just, you know, big scoring nights for 19-win teams, essentially. And I think reputationally, and we've seen it a little bit with Trey Young, too, b- before this playoffs, the thought was, you know, good stats, bad team type player. And I don't know, just even talking to Devin Booker, being even in, being in the room with them, uh, you know, I went down to Phoenix and they they're kind of allowed us in the Zooms. Just, I don't know, there's just, there's a poise to him that, that I've seen. Like, it's just traits that you see in, like, a Westbrook, a Duran, a, a Steph over the years. Um, and just the variety in which he scores when you watch him on a daily basis. I think sometimes we just look at stats, you know, he's good in the mid-range, good from three, good at layups, but it's, like, different type of mid-ranges. It, it, it's fade away from the baseline. It's just, when you can score on literally, like, every inch of the floor, to me, that just that that plays so well in the playoffs. So I think him and then Aiton, I didn't think I I didn't think he was that good, uh, as good as he's shown to be. I mean, I think he's like one twenty of one seventy shooting in the playoffs. He's playing a smart game. They've trimmed his shot diet down to where if you just look at his shot chart, it's just living in the restricted area. And he at age you know whatever he is twenty two twenty three as a top pick number one overall pick three years ago, he doesn't care to play outside of that role and I think that growth and that readiness for a playoff level role where he's just fitting exactly what they need and he's he's not being like hey I'm playing well tonight let me try this like 21 footer like he, he right. just doesn't do that in the playoffs and that's that's the type of stuff where you watch what how Booker plays and how Aiden plays and you're like this type of stuff at a young age plays well in the playoffs and I didn't think they were that type of player before I started really watching them a couple months ago. Speaking of DeAndre Ayton, yeah. I, I saw a uh, stat on 538. Louis Zatzman said that he's shooting better at the rim in the playoffs than Giannis, who had the best regular season mark since at least 1996-97. He's shooting almost 80% at the rim. Just kind of highlighting what you just brought up. It's really been amazing. Yeah, he's he, he's a vacuum with his hands, right? He catches everything, which is uh, n- not easy. I, you know, I covered James Wiseman this season, and I do think some of the stuff that 
that Aiton's done. Tr- like if you are trying to project out with James Wiseman, I, I, I think there's some optimism. But then you also watch Aiton; it's just there's polish to his game. And and I, I know I said he's not stepping out of his game, but there's times where they throw it down to him. He's eight feet away, he catches it, and he's confident. He'll take a little like fade away over a smaller defender. He, he's done it a couple times against the Clippers. I do think there's more to his game than he even tries. Uh, I remember one playoff game; he he had a drive and like an up and under. It was like early in the playoffs. You're like, geez, man, he does have some skill. Um, and he's just he makes everything. I, I mean, I, I understand that saying, you know, 80% at the rim, you're like, well, he's being spoon-fed from Chris Paul and, and, and Booker's getting attention and it's just dunks. But it's like, you know, it's when it, when a center makes everything and it's not all just dunks, like, you know, it's he's he's really impressed me. Yeah. And, like, just, like, one more Aiden stat that's kind of crazy is that he's uh, 70.5% true shooting in the playoffs which hasn't been done. And like the guys who are in the top five, like Kevin Durant, 16, 17 was 68. Uh, Kevin McHale in the 87, 88 season was 67. Al Horford in the 16, 17 season was 66. And then LeBron James and Aiden is like better than all those guys. And if you like say like, Oh, he's just, you know, it's dunks only. Like there's been tons of dunks only guys in the playoffs like DeAndre Jordan had his chance to yeah. do something like this in the past. It just hasn't been done. That's the name. It's not DeAndre Jordan, right? It's like, you know, even if the stats might say, well, similar percentage, it's not DeAndre Jordan. And the truth is, I think Aiton needs to improve most on the offensive end. I, I, I still, you know, you watch him against the Clippers in the game five that they lost where, where Clippers mm-hmm. went small and you're like, you know, punish them more. I think he had 10 and 11 in that game. There's still right. quiet nights where you want him to physically dominate more. But I would say where he's like raised my ceiling on him and my expectations is defensively. He, he just survives in every matchup. And even I underrated him, I know, coming into the playoffs because I, I was doing a preview of the Nuggets uh, Sun series. And I was like, all right, let me go back. Kind of, you know, I, I wasn't paying that much attention to Nuggets Sun's regular season games this year. Right. Let me watch these like Nikola Jokic post ups. I'm like, Aiton's stopping him every time. He's stoning him. He's super strong. Uh, he's not jumpy. He avoids foul trouble. I thought that was huge. You know, the, the Nuggets beat the Blazers because uh, Yusuf Nurkic just got in foul trouble every game. And then they mm-hmm. would bring in the backups, and, and that's where the Nuggets won that series. Aiton never got in foul trouble in, in those four games. And, like, that's not easy to do uh, as a big in the league. Another guy mm-hmm. that we uh, yeah. haven't brought up yet is Campaign who you happened to cover oh, yeah. when uh, you were there with we the go. Thunder because you were there the year they drafted him. I was wondering if there's anything that you remember that stands out either from that draft process or his rookie season, and then what is it like now covering him in what will be an NBA Finals? I, I would rather ask you guys, what is it like to watch Reggie Jackson and campaign go <laughs> blow for blow in the West Finals? <laughs> it's like all former Thunder point guards out there right now. Well, it you got Gallinari over in the East Finals making it through. There's a lot yeah. of Thunder guys across this league. <laughs> it is a wild experience, especially those two after they left the Thunder. And it looked like they were toast, right? It looked like things were going to end badly for them and for them both to kind of resurrect their careers in this playoffs has been pretty wild to see. Yeah, with the pain one, so I covered only his rookie season. Um, you know, he was the Reggie Jackson replacement. I mean, if you can remember yeah. the, the season before, which would have been 15, it was the year Katie had all the foot injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, they traded him for Ennis Canner because he forced his way out. They didn't want to trade Reggie Jackson necessarily. It just came to that point. So they went basically guard for, for big, and then they used the 14th pick because they actually didn't make the playoffs uh, on Payne. And I remember DJ Augustine was, was getting the backup point guard minutes early in his rookie season, and there yep. was like, a, you know, like try the rookie. you know. Mm-hmm. And I do remember he came out, and I have the same thought about Mitch McGarry for some reason. Uh, they came out in their debuts and had big nights. I think Payne, his first yep. time they like put him on the court, he had like 15 and 14 bench minutes, and it's like, why has he not been playing over DJ Augustine? Um, but, you know, you, you saw it as the year went on. I mean, like the decision-making wasn't great, turnover prone, and then just a turnstile defensively at that age. I mean, I think mm-hmm. I think he put might have played two years in college, but he was like twenty twenty one, and I, I you know again I'm dealing with it with the Warriors right now. Like those aged players, unless you're special, special or an older prospect, you just don't get on the floor for winning teams. Uh, Randy Foy, they they got in the buyout that year, and they as a rookie they put Randy Foy in the playoff rotation ahead of Cameron Payne and it made yep. sense I mean you're covering the team you're like Randy Foy's just going to hold up better in a Warrior series than, than Payne and then Payne beca- it became the running joke with him doing the Westbrook dance stuff um and then you know not only did he flame out of the league but like there was like embarrassing moments for him remember he went to Chicago he got I think in the Doug McDermott trade and then there was that quote like it was an anonymous quote I, I I'm not attributing correctly here but somebody had a quote out there that like the Bulls knew like we knew after two practices and it was because we were hoping the first practice was just nerves or something it was yeah. like this guy is not an NBA player he was in China and now you know I'm having, I'm on a podcast Andrew knows the other week and we're like is he would you rather have him or Dennis Schroeder this summer yeah yeah <laughs> which is yeah. crazy He's- it is. It's absolutely insane. Uh, so the Suns are heading to the finals. It still feels weird to say that sentence, but the Suns are heading to the finals. They Against seem to be... The Bucks or Hawks. How about that sentence? Uh, yeah, I don't... That's, uh, especially one of those, man. If the Hawks somehow pull that off, I, I don't even know what I'll do. Um, but man, they seem to be one of like the most unscathed teams heading into the finals here. Everybody else is dealing with all kinds of injuries. Uh, but there's there's been concerns about Chris Paul since the first round. Uh, you have Devin Booker's nose. Is there anything else that you know, the Suns are concerned about heading into the finals? I mean, Cam Johnson, who was good in the West Finals, missed the closeout game with they said a non-COVID illness. I mean, you know, they're yeah. not playing. They're not starting the finals for still several more days. So he's. Pr- I assume he's probably going to be fine. Um, the Paul, the playoffs have been weird. I mean, you mentioned the first round. Uh, I thought their season was going to be over like a month and a half ago. You know, he was, he had a mm-hmm. dead arm. It was like this same thing yep. he, that happened to Kyle Lowry. He basically tweaked his neck a little bit, and I guess it like shot down his arm, and he, it was basically like you know unusable for a while. He was like dribbling it off his foot and stuff. Uh, and then they were down two one, and then the, you know obviously the Davis injury changed that changes that series. But he shot really poorly against the Lakers and really poorly against the Clippers until that final game. But in the middle, he had that Nugget series where it was like literally the best mid range shooting series I've ever seen in my life. Um, and then of course, I think if he had struck like let's say they still closed out the Clippers in six on with defense, but he didn't shoot it well, I think you would have more concerns. Cause saying look like his jumper's not there. He was nineteen of sixty uh, the first three games he played. But the yep. fact that he shot it that well in the second half, you're thinking maybe he's loosening it up. He's getting his rhythm coming out of quarantine, obviously getting COVID. Um, to, you know, Devin Booker took off his mask and looked better in the last couple of games. I think at this point, they're they're pretty whole, you know, and they and they have some rest time before game one and they're at home. 
and they're facing a Bucks team that I don't think will have Giannis or a Hawks team that probably has a hobbled Trey Young if Trey Young's there. Like they're significant favorites, I think, against either team. Yeah, I would agree with that. Is do you think? Obviously, we don't know who the opponent's going to be, but is there a Suns player that you think would be a great matchup against the Bucks specifically versus a player that you think would have a great matchup against the Hawks? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think I think the Hawks would be. I don't know. It's weird with you know assuming no Giannis, but you know Drew Holiday guard. You know, switching from Paul to to Booker. Um, with Middleton, I guess able to you know PJ. Let's say you got yeah, PJ Tucker at times on Booker and, and Holiday on uh, Paul. Like that's that's to be kind of two better defenders than they maybe maybe faced. I mean Denver didn't have it. The Lakers kind of had some peskier guards. Um, you know Patrick Beverly had his moments against Devin Booker in the finals, but I think that's better perimeter defense than their scores have faced. Um, I. I'm trying to think with Atlanta. Um, you know, Atlanta's given up so much at the rim in this series. Yep. You know, I think I think Aiton would have an easier series against Atlanta because it's like more traditional, you know, bashing with uh, Capella, whereas like, the, well, this is more, again, with the Giannis thing. But if you're playing Milwaukee a lot of times, like, would you want Aiton guarding Giannis? If Giannis comes back, he's probably not. Brooke Lopez tries to stretch it out. You don't love Aiton getting stretched out to three. Um, but honestly, I think the bigger questions are the other way. How do those teams try to control Phoenix? Right. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. I know I'm looking outside right now. Sun's out. Birds are chirping. It's time to start getting outside. Uh, I know that I like to get outside and play basketball with my kids. And honestly, I need to get into a fitness routine in order to keep up with these guys. And Peloton is there for me. Peloton's varying class links were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout, whether you'd like to add a 10 minute core session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60 minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals. Peloton's classes were made to challenge you. There are a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, full body strength, or marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you're already excelling in. Peloton's program and instruction push you to be your best. Their expert coaches and nonstop vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run indoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife, Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful design objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son, Evan, continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for answering our questions. It is now time for Andrew versus the Beat, our weekly game show where Andrew goes head to head with an NBA beat writer. Now, uh, Anthony, if you haven't been paying attention, Andrew got started off to a terrible start. He was 0-11-1 on Andrew versus the Beat. He has since won five weeks in a row and is now 5-11-1. So a lot of pressure on you all of a sudden. And this week, the theme is playoff droughts. So these will all be trivia questions about playoff droughts. How this will work, there are eight trivia questions. You will give me a number between one and eight. That will correspond to a question. It may be easy. It may be hard. If you get it right, you get two points. If you get it wrong, it'll go to Andrew for a steal for one point. We'll go back and forth with questions until they've all been answered. So if you're ready, I just need a number between one and eight. First of all, I want. I wish we could do trivia on like you know mid to mid 2010s Thunder basketball. That would be high level stuff. Ooh, that here. would be. Instead, we're just, <laughs> would be. instead we're doing Phoenix Suns here. Um, I will go with uh, three. Okay, number three. We all know that the Sacramento Kings have the longest playoff drought in the league at 15 seasons. Did you know there are only two other teams in the league with a playoff drought longer than three seasons? Who are they? And play-in does not count. And that, that goes for all of these questions. The play-in does not count. So these are teams okay. that have missed the playoffs at least three seasons, longer than three seasons. And there's only two okay. of them. Okay. I'm a, how long ago was Jimmy Butler? And we're counting this season? I'm going yes. with the Timberwolves. Okay. Timberwolves, that's one. Hornets. Okay. When, when did, so yeah, your guess ahead. is where the Timberwolves and the Hornets, that is incorrect. Andrew, you have a chance to steal for one point. Is this the Timberwolves and Pistons? That is also incorrect. So I said a playoff drought longer than three seasons. The Timberwolves are exactly at three seasons. Anthony did get one of them. It is the Charlotte Hornets who made the play-in but did not make the playoffs. The other team, team we talked about earlier, Andrew, the Chicago Bulls. Oh, wow. Yeah. Bulls haven't made it in four years. Okay, Andrew, one question down. No score. How about that 15 years for the Kings, though? Wow. (laughs) That is something. It's incredible. That is really something. (laughs) Uh, Let's go number one. All right, question number one. There are 11 NBA franchises that have never won a championship. Four of them have gotten very, very close, however, coming within two wins of a ring. One of those teams is the Suns, who came within two games in 1976 and 1993. Who are the other three franchises that have come within two wins of winning a ring without ever winning one? And for this, I'm going to give you one point per correct answer. Utah Jazz. Utah Jazz is one of them. It's one point for Andrew. Can you get another one? The Nets? The Nets is correct. 2003. Andrew, you could do a clean sweep if you can get the final one. The Pacers? Wow, Andrew, that is also correct. Three for three, the Pacers in 2000. Wow, we've never had someone score three points on a question, but there it was. Andrew's up three, nothing. Anthony, it's your turn, though. Two. Number two. By making it to the conference finals this year, the Clippers gave up the record of longest drought without an NBA Conference Finals appearance. Which NBA franchise now owns that record? So longest Hmm. drought without a Conference Finals appearance. Going back to the Hornets. The Hornets. A very good guess, but that is incorrect. Andrew. I'll I'll just say the Timberwolves, but I know that's not right. 
You're correct. It's not right. Uh, the correct answer, 42 years, 1980. Wizards? The Washington Wizards. I knew it. I was... Oh, I, that, no. I, I've been thinking that for about a minute. I was like, I know it's the Wizards. I was thinking Timberwolves, but remember Garnett and Sam Cassell? That, they made yes, it. Yes. They did. Yes. Okay, Andrew, it's your turn. You're up 3 nothing. Let's go 5. Numero 5. Okay, now this is kind of a confusing question, so stick with me. Phoenix... Okay has not won a championship in 53 seasons. The Hawks haven't won in 63 years. The Bucks haven't won in 50 years. Regardless of who makes the finals in the East, this year's matchup will set the record for most combined seasons without a championship. The previous record was set by these two teams who had a combined 83 years without a ring when they met in the finals. Warriors-Cavs? I have no idea. That is correct, Andrew. Warriors... Cavs. 2015 <laughs> Warriors Cavs, 83 years okay. between them. Wow. Wow. Uh, a dominant I need, performance. I got to catch so up. But you still have a chance. We have four questions to go. Eight. Number eight. By making his first NBA Finals, Chris Paul no longer holds the active record for most all NBA selections without a Finals appearance. There are three active NBA players with six all-NBA selections who have never made an NBA Finals. Who are they? And I'm going to give you one point per correct answer. So they've made at least Ooh. six. Actually, they've all made six all-NBA teams. None of them have made an NBA Finals. I'll start with John Wall. I'm going to say John Wall won. John Wall, um, that is incorrect. Okay. <clears throat> do, I get, do I get, I guess, two more for, uh, for you, a point you each? You don't or? because you got your first one wrong. Oh jeez, man! I'm just—I'm about to take a goose egg. I shouldn't have, shouldn't have locked that one in. Andrew, uh, uh, let's see how many he's made. He's actually only made one All NBA team, John Wall. Uh, yeah, why would I like? I'm sorry. You said six All NBA teams. That six was a terrible NBA guess. There. Andrew, any guesses for you? Paul George. Paul George is one. I was just Dame. Damian Lillard is one. Andrew, can you go for a clean sweep? Embiid? That is incorrect. The last one, <laughs> Carmelo Anthony. Oh, Mello. Carmelo was the tough Gosh. one. The first two should have been easy. Um, Andrew, we have three left. You have a commanding lead, 7-0. I'm just getting on the board. I just got to get on the board. That's all. <laughs> uh, seven. Number seven. The uh, Phoenix Suns. Ended their playoff drought of 10 years this season. The last time they made the playoffs was in the 2009-2010 season when they made it all the way to the Western Conference Finals where they lost to the Lakers in six. We are going to try to name all the players who played playoff minutes for that Suns team. So how this works, Andrew will give me a name, then we'll go to Anthony. We'll go back and forth until one of you is stumped. Can no longer name a Suns player from the 2009-2010 season. Steve Nash. Steve Nash is correct. Over to Anthony. Grant Hill was on that. Grant Hill is correct. Back to Andrew. Jason Richardson. Jay Rich, also correct. Back to Anthony. That is a good one. Okay, that is a good one. Raja Bell, I believe, was on that team. Raja Bell, not on the 2009-2010 Suns. Other names. Unbelievable. Amare Stoudemire. Channing Frye. Current Laker Jared Dudley. Robin Lopez, Leandro Barbosa, Goran Dragic, Lou Amundsen, 
Jaron Collins, du- Blue Almonds. Dwayne Jones, and Earl Clark. Earl Clark played two minutes. Earl Clark. Yeah. Okay. So and- this has been rough for me, I gotta say. But you <laughs> you still have a chance to get a point. Four. Four for sure. Which 2021 playoff team has the longest drought without winning their own division? So this is a team that made this year's playoff, but has not won their division in a very, very long time. Memphis Grizzlies were the eight seed. Like I don't think like they've won it in a while. The Memphis Wizards. Actually, Wizards. I will take the Wizards again. Switching it to Wizards. Switching it to Wizards, locking in Wizards. (laughs) Well, unfortunately, it's not the Wizards. (laughs) I feel like it's (laughs) Andrew. Is it the Knicks? No, Andrew. Anthony, you had it. It was the Memphis Grizzlies. 26 seasons without a division win, which that in and of itself is kind of impressive. But then you remember they're in like with the Spurs and Rockets. Spurs, Rockets, Mavs. Okay, Andrew, final question. At this point, you're just just padding on your stats, Andrew. You're just a stat padder (laughs) if you get this right. So Russell Westbrook of... uh... It is. Podcast. Uh, there are only four NBA franchises with two different streaks of at least five straight conference finals appearances. Does that make sense? So they made the conference finals five times in a row, and they've done it at least two times in their history. Now, the Celtics and the Lakers are the two obvious ones. Who are the other two teams that have done that? And you have to give me both. Five in a row. And they've done it twice. So they've made it to the conference finals five times in a row. Two different times in their franchise's wow. history. I'll say the Heat. I don't know that I believe that, but I'll go Heat. I don't believe it because it's wrong. Anthony, you have a chance to steal. Last question. <laughs> you can get one point per correct answer. The teams have made at least five conference finals in a row, and they've done it twice. We mentioned the Celtics and the Lakers. There's two other franchises that have done that. I believe one of them is the Detroit Pistons back in the Bad Boys days and also in the with the Chauncey Billups teams. That's got to be right. Anthony, that is absolutely correct. He's on the board. The Detroit Pistons. That's all I wanted. I don't even <laughs> want to answer this. Uh, no, uh, I'll guess. Um, let me think. Are we go? How about this? Is it Warriors because they did it, and then they also did it like in Philly or something? Like I'm not thinking. Uh, no, no, same franchise names both times. Just X me out. I got the point I wanted. So. <laughs> the final correct answer. They did it, of course, in 1949 to 1953, and then again oh, in 1969 to 1974. Who was it? Our awesome. New York Knicks, the Knickerbockers. Ooh. Sure, why not? Can we? How about we? How about we go back and forth and name all the players on those Knicks teams? <laughs> yes, let's do, do the 1949 <laughs> Knicks. We'll start with Andrew. <laughs> all right, Andrew, you won again. That is now six in a row. Six weeks in a row. You're getting close to 500. Six, eleven, and one. Okay, I'm like the Hawks. I'm like the Hawks. At the beginning of the season, really bad. I'm making a run to the finals now. That's where I'm headed. All you're uh, doing Slater. is just getting yourself out of the top picks, like a little. That's a little true. That's a great you point. Yourself now. Andrew, you would hate <laughs> this strategy right. if if you were looking at it from the outside. You don't like this. You're on the treadmill of mediocrity. <laughs> that's so true. I'm tanking. Um, okay, I'm tanking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, geez, Slater. Thanks for coming on the show today. Be sure to read everything Anthony does at the Athletic. We really appreciate you, man. All right, fellas. Huge thanks to Anthony Slater for coming on the show. Alex, I'm going to read some five-star reviews before we go. 
This first one is from the USA. It's from C underscore House. They say the Slam and Jam is the most fun NBA podcast. I know this because my wonderful wife, who hates podcasts with all her being, enjoys listening to Andrew and Al's awesome show. That is the highest compliment I've ever been given in my whole life. Mic drop right yeah, there. Yeah, my, my that's, mom that's even doesn't one. listen, so that's awesome. <laughs> I know. Uh, this next one is from Huzzah212 in Great Britain. Says this show makes my Saturday after a hard week's work. I sit down with a thinly sliced pizza <laughs> and listen to the slam and jam. Keep it up, lads. Hamash. Hell yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. And then one more from South Africa. Al, this is from at Luza. Uh, I thought last week's episode was great, but this week's Suns draft retrospective and Mavs kingification somehow topped that. As someone who has loved the NBA, or someone whose love for the NBA is relatively new, this context is awesome. I love the balance of info and hot takes and the game show slash newsroom format. Thanks to everybody for your five-star reviews. If you want yours read on the podcast, regardless of your location in the world, I will read them if you leave that on Apple Podcasts. So five stars and leave us a review. It will be read on the podcast. Hope you guys have a great weekend. If you're in the U.S., enjoy your 4th of July weekend. And we will talk to you guys again next week.